1: based on the Word of God, as you will see in just a few moments. Uh, Pastor Jason started last week with "No God, and I understand he crushed it last Sunday morning, and you had a great time with him. Today we're going to talk about growing together and what that looks like to grow together and how that happens. Now let me share, this is just a, such an exciting time at Faith Church, we are uh, launching a new campus on September the 9th for Ridgeville. Can you say, Woo, that's yeah, good? And uh, Lever Church should start sometime in September. And Walterboro is up and running and going great. We're going out there again to kind of do a relaunch. And we're excited about they're getting their systems and everything in order. And there's excitement going on there. We're believing God for great things in Walterboro. And so, God's just doing some incredible things and faith. Church is growing, which is fun. I see new faces every week, and it's happening at all of our campuses. But let me let you in on a little secret. Growth is not the main goal of Faith Church. That may surprise you. You say, well, aren't we supposed to reach souls, and aren't we supposed to grow and all that? But let me tell you the main objective of the church, and that's to be healthy. We need to be a healthy church, which covers every aspect of what we're to do in the kingdom of God. But I will tell you a byproduct of that, healthy things naturally grow. So if you have a healthy plant, what's going to happen? It's going to grow. You have a healthy marriage, what's going to happen? It's going to grow. You raise up healthy kids and children, uh, naturally they should grow. If your child is not growing physically, there's probably something wrong with that child. And so healthy things will grow. And what happens is when we're the church that God wants us to be and we look like the church that he wants us to be, out of that will come automatic growth. It will naturally happen. And we see that in the book of Acts. There's probably no stronger, healthier church in the history of mankind than that early church, that Acts church. And what we read there and see in scripture becomes a model, I believe, for what God is looking for in a healthy church. So turn to Acts chapter 2 and let's stand together and we will read that this morning. Acts 2, and we'll start with verse number 42. And you begin to get an idea and a feel for what made this Acts church, this first century church, such a powerful Church. It says in verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Those are, those are pretty good things, right? Apostles' teaching, learning, growing, breaking bread together, taking communion, and they prayed. It was a praying church. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles' And all the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and their goods and gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke their bread and their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So it was a growing church, but it grew because it was healthy. How do we have a healthy church? Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for what we learned from that, and I just pray this morning that we will receive these lessons for our church and each one of us, God, and that we will be the church that you want us to be. We will model that to our community, and God, we will see you do amazing things as you add to your church, and we love you, and we thank you for your presence today, and we give you all the praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. You may be seated. I think one of the things that jumps off the pages about this church is the unity and the fellowship they had. They were an amazing church. They came together. It says they met in the temple every single day for that time and hour of prayer. They would learn under the apostles' teaching and doctrine. They broke their bread together. They ate their meals together. They loved each other. They shared with each other. They took care of each other's needs. It was an amazing, alive, exciting church, amazing fellowship in the church. Now, now we have kind of redefined the word fellowship to mean any time we gather together around a common interest, and so uh, we think that's fellowship, but that's really not the same as biblical fellowship. Biblical fellowship goes much deeper than that. It touches the very deepest part of who we are. Let me see if I can illustrate it for you. If uh, I like Ohio State football, and I know everybody in here likes Ohio State football, right? Yeah, yeah. That's what I, that's kind of the reaction I thought I'd get. Uh but but if, if I said, in two weeks, we start, by the way, and so that's pretty exciting. In two weeks, I said, oh, Ohio State's on TV, come over to the house, and I call all my buddies who also like Ohio State, and we all come over to the house, and I fix a plate of my famous nachos, and I smother it with cheese, and everything else I find in the refrigerator, and I pull it out, and, uh, and we watch football, and we talk about football. While we may have fun together, while there may be some mutual sharing going on, that is really not what the... The Bible's talking about when it uses the word fellowship the word fellowship is from a Greek word koinia and koinia literally means participation or sharing and so the idea of biblical fellowship it is sharing something in common at the very deepest need of our human relationships it goes much deeper than that surface hi how are you shaking hands and watching a game on tv you understand what I'm talking about there it's sharing in our experience with Christ Himself, and so we share around the Lord Jesus Christ. Our fellowship is based on Him, and it goes much deeper than just that surface stuff. And this is the kind of fellowship that I read about in the Book of Acts. They they met together, they ate together, they broke bread together. They they talked about the body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It was they they gathered around the teachings of the Word of God, and they were growing together and and really getting close to where they could actually carry one another's burdens that's biblical fellowship and that's what we see has to be a key component of a healthy church that we grow together and I want to give you three things in our growing together process that I think this passage points out the first is they learn together and so we read in the Bible that they gathered around the apostles' teachings. And so it was based on what the apostles have to say. And now we have the whole canon of Scripture and the Word of God. And we have the, we have the Gospels and we have the letters from the apostles. And we have those for us to read and look at and study and learn and grow from. And so therefore, our, our gathering together and our learning together always has to be Bible-based. Word-based, so we can help each other and really learn together in the family of God. The Bible says they met in the temple for the time of the apostles' teachings, but they also met from house to house. And they weren't just coming together to hang out. Now, they did hang out, and that's okay. But it was centered around the word, the apostles' teachings. They were together. They, they experienced fellowship together through his word. Now, now, listen to me. I'm going to, I'm going to be real with you today. I want, I want, I want to just, On any given Sunday, you could get up in the morning, you could turn on television, and probably on any station find some preacher on TV. You can go to Christian television, sometimes in prime time. They have them on the morning on, on some of the other networks. And, and you can turn on television and find wonderful preaching. And their singing is probably amazing, and because they're on television, it's really got to be good. And so their, their singing is amazing. So you can find amazing singing and amazing preaching and all these wonderful things. In fact, on any given Sunday morning, you can just go to www.faithishere.org and you can, you can watch me if you want to, or whoever else is preaching here, or, or any one of the other churches that are streaming now live all across the nation. There is an availability of the gospel, there is availability of preaching every single Sunday morning. So So we ask ourselves the question, why get up in the morning? Why get dressed on Sunday morning? Why get my family dressed? And that's a nightmare and a chore if you got small ones or little ones. Why drag them to church? Why bring them to church together? Why why go through the hassle of fighting the crowd, trying to find a parking place, slipping in here, getting them in children's church and registered and the line's a mile long and all this stuff that's going on. Why go through all that stuff? I think it's a valid question. Because there is something about being together that you never get a dynamic from by sitting at home in your living room and watching it on TV. The Bible said they learn together, they study together, they gather together on the apostles' teaching and doctrine. And when we come together as a group and, and we share together through the word of God, that I believe the growth can become exponential. When you are in a home group or one of our connect groups somewhere and you're studying the word of God together, you get to talk about it and share about it and read the scripture out loud and you hear some ideas from one guy and another from another guy and someone's from somebody else and you begin to put all that together and learning takes place at an exponential rate than it would be if I just sit and check off my box of reading the Bible that day. Something powerful and profound about together around the word of God. Now, conversely, it's also possible to attend church and never engage in fellowship. Some people like to come to a larger church and we probably are considered to be a larger church and so it's easy to come into a larger church and sit and remain anonymous and so you slip in maybe a few minutes after the music starts you don't have to say hey to anybody and then you slip out the door as soon as service is over and you rush to your car and you haven't interacted with anybody in the family of God and so we can't even actually call that fellowship around the word of God and it's possible to just jump from church to church to church every Sunday morning and try to find a place where the fresh anointing is flowing and hear a different preacher one week and a different the next and different the next. The trouble is you get no consistency in the word of God and you only go to hear what Itching Ears wants to hear and you're never really connecting with the body of Christ. Therefore, you're never putting roots down into your spiritual soil and therefore your growth is stunted because we're always floating around to some other family of God. The Bible, when he calls us into fellowship, he calls us into a family. And so we are brothers and sisters in the family of God and the body of Christ, and that's dynamic, and that also adds to the whole learning process because the early church learned together. They were in a group. Early church exemplified an inner desire not just to hear the word, but they also wanted to live it out. So I'm going to challenge you, I think, as we engage with the Word of God, we also going to be conscious to take it one step further and not just be here's the Word, but doers also. James 1 and 22. It's possible to hear the Word and just get a little smarter, but never do what the Word of God is telling us to do. We have a tremendous need today for daily personal study of God's word, but we have potential to grow faster and stronger if we do that together, but not only hear the word, but put it into practice. I, uh, you, it's possible to get a book on bodybuilding, on physical fitness on uh, there's plenty of books out there on how to develop the well sculpted body you can tell i haven't read many of those books or even put them into practice but you can get the book and you can take the book out and you can even get your highlighter and you can mark all the passage in the books all the time while you're reading the book eating your chips and drinking a coca-cola how many know that will not give you a well sculpted body possible to read the book and just do everything the opposite it tells you what to do and so James tells us don't just listen to the word but be doers of the word so then you can really strengthen your faith muscles because you're putting them into practice. As disciples, they learned the apostles' teaching, and as they did, their faith grew. And so they put the word of God into practice. And the Bible said many signs and wonders followed the apostles. Why? Because they lived out their faith every day in the marketplace. And then it says, and the Lord added to the church those who were being saved. Listen, I want to challenge you. Fall in love with the word of God all over again. God, I love your word. Your word is life to me. It is strength to me. It brings me hope. It it teaches me how to live. It teaches me how to serve you. Listen to 2 Timothy 3 and 16 and 17. All scripture is God breathed. It's useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped For every good work. Listen, we don't study the word of God so we can say, I know God's word better than you or win a game of Bible trivia. We study the word of God so that we can be equipped for every single good work that God has for us to do. It is the word of God that changes us from the inside out. Knowledge without application is just knowledge. In fact, the Bible warns that knowledge puffeth up, puffs up. Makes you proud. Gives you a big head. But knowledge plus application produces wisdom. And wisdom is that that tells us how to act every single day in my life. And it's that wisdom that pleases the Lord. Wisdom, knowledge, plus application. The Bible says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. It says in the King James, instead of devoted, it says they continued steadfastly. And so there was this continual hunger for more of the word of God, more of the Lord. They're gathered around. They're in the temple. They're in their houses. They're digging into the word. They're listening to the apostles. They're studying together. They're growing together. And they're changing. Now, I want to make a statement to you. And I want you to hear it. You determine how close to God you want to be. You determine how strong in your faith you want to be. Let me prove it to you from Scripture. Turn to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. I want to read this to you. It's uh, the writer of Hebrews seems to be getting on to the uh, group of believers uh, of the Hebrews he's writing to. And he kind of chastises them because they, they got in, got saved, but they remain in spiritual infancy. He says, by now, by all this time, you should be growing in your faith, but you're not growing. You're stunted in your growth. So let me read it to you. It says, we have much to say about this, verse uh, 11, but it's hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use, continued steadfastly in the word of God, by constant use, have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Now what what we're looking for is that I'm looking for a congregation of meat eaters said, I want the meat of the word. I, I want to get deep in the word. I want to learn. I want to grow in the word of God. Now, if you're a new believer, it's okay to have a bottle. You're a brand new believer in Christ Jesus. You can only handle milk and you need the basic elementary teachings. But if you've been saved five years, 10 years, 15 years, and we got to part the whiskers to get the nipple in your mouth to feed you the milk, something's wrong. And he writes the Hebrews, hey, wait a minute, you're not doing it. You ought to learn together, grow together. Your faith should be strong and solid so now you can get into the meat of God's word. kind to move beyond, he says, the elementary teachings of the word of God. So if we want to be a healthy church and we want to look like that Acts church, then we need to begin to learn together and grow together in the word of God. I think the second thing we see here is they also grew together in their relationships. And so these relationships are deepening, and now you have a church that not only is learning together, but they're helping each other through every situation in life they're going to face. Let's pick it up. Go back, if you would, to verse number 46. It says there, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. So this implies they took communion together. They gathered around the table of the Lord because it says in the next phrase, and they ate together. So the breaking bread was not their meal. It was a remembrance of what Christ had done. And, uh, and then they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying favor with all the people. Everybody needs somebody. Let me say that again. Everybody needs somebody. It's about supporting and encouraging and building one another up. And so our small group ministry at Faith Church becomes a source of our friendship and our spiritual growth and our connecting with one another in the family of God. And what that does is it helps us through those struggles of life That we all go through at some time or another. Next to the transformation of a person, the second greatest miracle that can ever occur is when God takes imperfect people and joins them together with other imperfect people who have also been transformed by the grace of God and we begin to connect together and we become what the Bible calls his spiritual family or spiritual household in the kingdom of God. When you give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, you are immediately added to a family because you have been saved by the blood of the Lord, and the same blood that I have in me is the same blood you have in you. That makes you my brother or my sister in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that miracle of fusion also takes place where we become one or united in fellowship in the family of God. Here's the problem, though. In the natural we don't live in close, harmonious, giving and forgiving relationships because in the natural we are selfish. Amen. I mean, let's, let's just be, be honest. We're selfish. It's all about ourselves and the natural. It's all about my flesh, myself, and so we're not naturally drawn into deep friendships because of my selfishness. And so basically, I connect with you if I need something, and you connect with me if you need something. And so our connection is at the root based on selfishness, not simply a giving, forgiving kind of love and lifestyle that we see in the Word of God. But when Christ sets us free, listen to me, we are able to become one with him and one with each other. And that's the dynamic miracle that takes place at salvation. And so he brings us into this thing he calls a family. When he performs the miracle of love in us, he makes it possible for us to love one another unselfishly. Isn't that awesome? Every church understood the value, the early church understood the value of doing life together. And so they experienced fellowship on a deeper level. They shared their meals together. They took part in the Lord's Supper. And the Bible says they had great joy and there was great generosity. And they were even giving their stuff away to help one another. You see, in the early church, all these believers came from around the Roman Empire for the Feast of Pentecost. What happened on the day of Pentecost earlier in Acts chapter two, they're filled with the Holy Spirit and saved and there's a glorious move of God and 3,000 are added to the church. They were from all over the Roman Empire. Many of them chose to stay there and remain there so they could remain under the apostles' teaching and so they did not leave. But they had no place to live, no place to stay, no food to eat. So what has happened? The church that gathers in Jerusalem invites those in so they might be rooted and grounded in the Lord Jesus Christ. They cared for each other. It was really a close connected fellowship so let me ask you a question who is in your circle who is your closest group of believers who are you connecting with in the family of God where you're helping each other to grow and spurring one another on to love and good works let me read the verse to you it's Hebrews 10 24 25 let us consider how we may spur one another On towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up the meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage, everybody say encourage. Encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now that word encourage, at the root of the word, is courage. There's another word, discourage. Discourage literally uh, means a lack of courage or you've lost your courage. You've you've discouraged. You've lost that courage somewhere along the way. But according to the Word of God, I am able to literally instill courage into you by our fellowship, by our sharing together. We, We put courage into someone else, and we do that by the grace of God and through the Word of God. So I can encourage or instill courage into your life. There was a a man in the New Testament. His name was Barnabas. He was a part of this early church, an amazing man. You see his name 25 times in uh, the book of Acts. You see it five times in the rest of the epistles. Barnabas is mentioned by name. But his name means son of consolation or son of encouragement. So that's what his name meant. You're the son, bar Barnabas son of encouragement but it's also the same root word we find for the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14 and so you see that same kind of word to describe the work of the Holy Spirit who is my helper or who is my counselor one who comes along beside me in my time of need and so what we see in the New Testament church is Barnabas becomes a type of the Holy Spirit as he ministers to the church he is very influential in the life of a man by the name of Paul We know him in the early part of Acts as Saul of Tarsus. And Saul of Tarsus is trying to wipe out the church. And so he gets letters, he's of the Pharisees, he's going and taking letters, trying to kill the believers, he's taking names down, he's thrown them into prison, and he's watching their execution. And so he's a very violent man. And yet he has a dramatic experience on the road to Damascus to, to throw people in prison, and he encounters the Lord Jesus Christ. And he gets saved, and he's gloriously transformed, uh, and he goes through this whole transformation process through the love and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. But what's happened is the apostles are still afraid of him they're not about to let him into that church to take down names to throw the rest of those into prison they don't trust him and so it's Barnabas Who introduces the apostle Paul to the other apostles and the rest of the early church. And through Barnabas now, think about it. Now we have Paul's three missionary journeys. Now we have all of uh, about one third of the New Testament written by the apostle Paul. We have all this because of one man came along beside of him and say, listen, God's changed his life. He's transformed him. Barnabas encouraged the church. He encouraged the apostle Paul. He was, he was that forerunner, he was that Holy Spirit preparing the way for the Apostle Paul to come and do all that we have today. And we have most of our theology from the Apostle Paul. What would it have happened had Barnabas said, you know what, I'm doing my own thing. No, I'm not really going to get in your life. I love Jesus, he loves me, we're kind of on our own in there. No, you got this son of encouragement making a difference. Only that, but they go the, on the first missionary journey together. And after that, they have a split, Paul and Barnabas, because why? This son of encouragement, Barnabas, cares about John Mark, his nephew. And John Mark had flunked out the first time around. But he says, you know what? I think there's something redeemable about you. We can use you again. You can be a value to the kingdom of God. And then he comes along and he encourages John Mark. And when Paul comes to the end of the days and he's in prison and about to be executed, who's right there by his side? Barnabas and later John Mark all because this guy's a sudden encouragement amazing man now let me ask you a question who is your Barnabas who is that encouragement to you if there's not somebody you can think of right away maybe it's because you're not connected in fellowship or koinonia with your other brothers and sisters in the family of God and let me take it one step further who are you on Barnabas to Who are you encouraging, speaking into their life, helping, discipling, mentoring, changing lives around you? Who are you a a Barnabas to today? So we see that they were really not only learning around the word and growing in their knowledge and their actions, but they also grew in fellowship and connection with each other. But there's a third thing. There's something about being together that is intrinsically better than if we were by ourselves. I want you to turn, if you would, to Psalm 133. Turn to Psalm 130. Look at, what, look at what the word says here. David, uh, Song of Ascents, David wrote this. He says, how good and pleasant it is when what? Brothers live together in unity. Now, he could have been describing the early church in the book of Acts. What's he say about it? It's good. It's pleasant. It's preferred when we dwell together in unity. And then he goes on to describe it. Look at this description. It's like the precious oil on the head running down the beard, running down Aaron's beard. Now he's speaking of that priestly anointing. There is an anointing that comes together when the body of Christ is dwelling together in unity that you don't have alone. The word of God says where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of thee. There is something about family that God wants us to connect to. Look, it goes on. It says, running down the beard, down the collar of his robes. And then he describes it like this. It says that the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. The blessing of dew every morning on the mountain. And then he says, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life evermore why where, where where brothers dwell together in unity where brothers dwell together in unity it's good it's better it's pleasant and then he says it's where the blessings of God are when we begin to connect with one another in that deeper way of fellowship there's an incredible presence of Jesus in our midst and there's this anointed blessing that he has for us mm, 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 mm. it's better it's better We were created for deep and meaningful personal relationships with other people who know and care. We're there, we need each other to bear one another's burdens. It says in Galatians 6, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of the Lord. How can I help bear your burden and struggle and stress you're going through if I don't know you? Celebrate victories together. We rejoice together. When one member suffers, all the members suffer of the body. When one rejoices, we all rejoice, and we celebrate. they are to give and receive inspiration on how to live each other, how to love each other, and how to encourage one another to love and good deeds or good works. Now, listen to me. You may be sailing through life now but everybody will encounter trials and tests along the way. There will be burdens that will hit us and they will come out of nowhere. And you're gonna say, where did that one come from? And, we're going to, and it's gonna be a storm so strong, so violent, it's gonna rock your world. It's in those times, I need someone else who will hear and care and understand and help me to share those burdens. There's a deep-rooted individualism, though, in our culture that says, I can make it on my own. And so men are so intent on building their families and building their careers that that we get focused on that. It's almost like we can hang a sign on our front yard, no help needed. I got this. I can do everything I need to do. And so this individualistic culture, by the way, that is a Western phenomena. It is not an Eastern phenomena. It's not the backdrop for the New Testament or the word of God. Everything in the words done through family, done through the group, done together. We live in an individualistic society, and I will tell you, our technology has not helped. It is so much easier now for me, and I find myself in the habit of now, I can text somebody in about 30 seconds, I can text them and tell them, I want to borrow your chainsaw uh, (laughs) without ever having to talk to them. And they text back and say, I don't have one anymore. I lost it. So I go to the next guy and text him until I find the chainsaw that I need. It's so easy to do that I never have to even talk anymore on the telephone. Right. God, am I the only one that's experiencing this? And it's, the, it's getting worse with each succeeding generation that grows up with this, all these technological advances. It, it saves me from a conversation. But every time I'm saved from another conversation, I am less likely to get to know and get into somebody else's life. Add to that our, our, our affluence and our mobility and the way we move around and all the, that we have today, but it all comes with a heavy price tag, and it's called functional isolationism. And functionally, I may say the right things, but I'm living as if I am a man or an island unto myself, as if I have everything all together, and I have my wife and my kids, and that is really all I need. That is not Bible. That is not a model of a healthy church. They were together. They shared in common. They gathered around the table of the Lord. They gathered around the word of God. It was dynamic. And they changed their world. And now we bear the stress of life's decisions and temptations and problems virtually alone. And then when that crashing wave hits us, there's no mechanism for us to handle it because I'm all alone by myself. There's no such thing as the private life in the way of Jesus Christ. Diedrich Bonhoeffer said, Jesus always comes to us with a family. Let me say that again. Jesus always comes to us with a family. So you say, Pastor, how how do we effectively really carry one another's burdens? I want to take you to James chapter 5 and uh, verse 16. I want to bring out two things, and then we'll close in prayer. James 5 16 therefore confess your sins to Jesus to each other and I, did I just read that is that heresy no. it's in the word confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Now listen to me. We have taken that last half of that verse out of context so many times. We want to encourage the brothers and sisters to pray, and so we quote that verse. Oh, the prayer of a righteous man is faithful and effective. So if you pray and you have faith, it will be very effective. Look at the context the scripture was written in. It says pray for what? One another. So as I pray for one another, and we're praying for one another in the family of God, and we are better together because of that very fact, that becomes very effective. Because he says, then confess your sins to one another, that you may be healed. That prayer becomes the root of genuine fellowship. And we don't just say, I'm going to pray for you. And we leave and we forget all about it. But we gather with them and we join hands with them and we pray for them and we remember them and we lift them up before the Lord. That prayer is very effective. Are you, are you, it's the word. And then he says, confess. So, so two things I'm going to do to bear your burdens. I'm going to help pray for you and, and we're going to pray together and we're going to pray for each other. But the second thing is confess. Now, we, we come from a, a Protestant background Based on Martin Luther, and one of his three tenets was the priesthood of the believers, and that we don't have to confess our sins before a priest. I don't have to go to a confessional booth. Uh, I don't just say so many rosaries or Hail Marys. I can go straight to Jesus Christ anytime, morning or night, because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He opened up the door and He made a way for every single one of us. So I go through my great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, and I am a part of His royal priesthood, right? And so I can pray to Jesus anytime, and he will do what? Forgive me. So why do I need to confess my sins to you or you to me? Why do we confess our sins to each other? He says so that you may be healed. He didn't say so you may be forgiven. I am forgiven when I go to the Lord Jesus Christ, but but and He takes that sin away. But if I remain in darkness, if I say, God, forgive me for my lust, forgive me that I've been in pornography all this time, forgive me because of my anger, forgive me because of my greed and all that stuff, I say, Jesus, thank you, you forgive me, Amen. As long as I allow that to remain in darkness there's nobody there to help me and hold me accountable and help bear that burden and so I confess my sins to another brother in Christ one I trust one who will pray for me one who will check on me one we can talk about the Bible together one we can help each other through this storm together then I can be healed get it you're forgiven when you go to Jesus you confess your sins to one another. Why? So you may be healed. And there's a difference. That's why the family, the family, the family is so important to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of the Lord. People hunger for genuine, authentic, Relevant community. And the early church is this incredible model. And they, they learned together. And they knew God. And they're growing together. And they lived in community. And that church changed their world. And they saw such a powerful love. And the Bible says in John, they'll know you're my disciples by the love you have for one another. And there was so much love in that early church. God's adding to the church daily such as should be saved. At Faith Church, groups are a amazing context for this to happen in and if you haven't been able to be a part of one of our groups we have connect groups we have discipleship groups we have activity groups we have uh, ladies groups and men's groups and couples groups and young adult groups and every kind of group imaginable and, and there's a place for you to connect it and it's just about the relationship and the connection with somebody else in the family of God and next week this place is going to be alive there's going to be group tables set out all over the place and you can go around and look at the different groups that are out there and say where do I want to get plugged in where do I need to get connected how can I I begin to relate to my other family members in the family of God because this is what God's model is for a healthy church. In the temple on Sunday, that dime it was Saturday, and then from house to house to house the rest of the week. In fact, they went to the temple daily for the hour of prayer. Days began, began to lose their significance, and every day they'd be going into the temple. There is a group for you, and it's so we can help Bear each other's burdens as well. I want to show you this amazing testimony and then we're going to pray. Take a look at it.
0: I got married in July of 2005. My husband thought that it was his job to help me realize my potential um, in ways that he envisioned, um, whether or not they agreed with what I was interested in or what I liked. But I, I did it so that I could make him proud and please him, I guess you could say. But it was hard. It was next to impossible to keep it up for any length of time. And then eventually he would get frustrated. And then he would say he couldn't do anymore. Um, and then he'd ask me for a divorce and that particular cycle um, repeated probably every year and a half to two years after that and then in august of 2015 i went to volunteer at the kids camp with the general counsel in orlando he called me he was really upset um the puppy had made a mess But I was driving, and I was like, we need to talk about this later. I'm driving right now. I can't be really aggravated. (laughs) I'm on the highway. So um, he hung up, and when we got to Orlando, we just, we hit the ground running. Um, It was a very, very full schedule that week. Um, And then I got home, and he was not there. He didn't come home for two days. And uh, he said he just needed to try living life his own way. Shortly after that, he moved into the guest room and just stopped telling me where he was going or what he was doing and just kept working. And um, So I just kept praying. I just started digging deeper into scripture and to study. Um, but it was hard. It was really hard. In September of 2015, I got a call from my mom. My dad was in the emergency room with a major heart attack. My husband's reaction was, he looked at me and his eyes were just blank. And he said, I'll let my mom know so she can pray for him. And that was it. And I think that was when I realized just how far he had distanced himself. And I felt really alone, really alone everything was shaking and I only had God. So I continued to study and I started journaling. (laughs) At the end of that month, my husband finally asked me for a separation. So I basically brought in New Year's by praying, by reading the Bible um, and just seeking God. When I joined the worship team that January, they welcomed me with open arms. (laughs) They immediately became family. I uh, met some of my best friends through the worship team and developed those relationships. One of my friends encouraged me to get out of my comfort zone even more, and so they invited me to their small group. And um, I wasn't alone anymore. I was in the spiritual battle of my life, and my involvement in the worship team the ministry and then being involved in a life group um kind of like Moses they held up my hands while I fought um they fought alongside me and I couldn't have done alone June 11th 2018 my divorce was finalized I know that it's never God's perfect will for marriage but it will end um But I know that God, even with our human mistakes, refines us. Um, He uses that fire to create something beautiful from the ashes that are left behind. And the beauty of my life right now is a close relationship with God, a closer relationship with my church family. And I wouldn't trade that for anything. And I will continue to grow. And I will continue to discover who I am And I'll continue to develop my identity as a daughter of God. Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org.